Welcome to the F word. The F word, of course, stands for front end, the wonderful and wacky, wild and crazy world of browsers, web standards, the internet and everything related to it. I'm Bruce Lawson coming to you from Birmingham, United Kingdom. I'm Vadim McKay from St. Petersburg, Russia. It's not just two of us here today. We also have a guest, Eric Meyer. Hi, I'm Eric Meyer coming from Cleveland Heights, Ohio, United States. Eric, as long-term denizens of the web will know, has been around since dinosaurs stalked the earth, um, since I had hair that wasn't silver. Back when the earth's crust was cooling. Indeed, and taught me CSS, so thanks for that, Eric. You're welcome, I guess. It was actually your your big red book. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, yeah. What was it? Meyer on CSS? I believe that one was more Eric Meyer on CSS. More Eric Meyer on CSS. Yeah, more was the sequel. It was great because although I, I knew of CSS and been haranguing people to write it for ages, I hadn't actually written any of it myself. And then when I came to read the specs, I thought I can't make head and a tail of this. So of course I'd gone to the noodle incident and stolen some code, but I didn't understand how it worked. And Eric's book basically took existing websites that were made with tables because those are the kind of things we did back in those days, kids, and CSSified them. And it was, uh, that taught me. So thank you, governor. Well, you're welcome. In my case, I'm not that old. Uh, color of my book was green. Mm. O'Reilly's uh, Definitive Guide of CSS or something like this. The two fishes on a, on a cover. The fishes, the two fishes. The salmon. Oh, the salmon. Very specifically salmon. They weren't originally salmon. They were actually originally flying fish, but I talked O'Reilly into changing them, which my editor at O'Reilly was not aware was a possibility. Why? Are you a particularly fan of salmon or? Well, yes. But also, if you think about it, the Pacific Northwest, the salmon swim up the cascades in the Cascade Mountains. There you go. Here you have it, folks, a unique insight into the design of book covers on um, animal-themed tech books. What an insight. But we didn't just invite Eric on here to spill the beans about his um, salacious salmon story. Oh, no, we want, uh, we've promised him a ruthless interrogation because, Eric, you have joined Web Standards Best Kept Secret, Igalia. Tell us more. What will you be doing for Egalia? And who are Egalia? Well, so Egalia is an open source consultancy. They're headquartered in the pretty much the very northwest corner of Spain in a, uh, a city called A Coruña, which I honestly had not heard of until I until I heard of Egalia. But it's uh, the part of Spain that sticks over the top of Portugal. It's there. They've done a lot of open source consulting. But they've also done a lot of work on browsers. So uh, listeners to the podcast might remember when CSS Grid suddenly became a part of browsers. Agalia did the implementation for Chromium and WebKit, basically. Uh, they were sponsored by Bloomberg. So Bloomberg, the financial business in the United States, wanted Grid layout for various reasons. And they hired Agalia, make it happen, at least in you know Chrome and uh, Safari. Mozilla did their own implementation. They've done other things as well. If you've come across the name in this field, that's probably where you came across it, was sort of associated with the one grid 
So, I mean, what I'm going to be doing there, it's a little bit uh, fluid at the moment. I mean, I've only just started. I think I'm on my third week now as we're talking. <laughs> so Senior then. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it's not a hierarchical organization. They're very, if I say they have a flat hierarchy, that's going to make it sound like they've done this whole holacracy thing that was <laughs> the rage a couple of years ago. That's not actually the deal. Um, but it is, it's not a, it's not a very top down. It doesn't look like a dom tree. Let's put it that way. To some extent, it's things that need doing that other people haven't had the time or resources to get to. In some cases, it's things that interest me and we're, we're sort of figuring that out. So uh, as an example, I've already, I've committed a few updates to the Mozilla developer network, either correcting or upgrading, like correcting typos, upgrading a couple of pages. I'm going to continue doing that. I'll probably um, branch out into documenting some of the things that Egalia is working on bringing into browsers, mm -hmm. but that aren't well documented in MDN yet. That's a sort of a longer term thing. I've been working on some internal projects uh, and I've written actually a couple of draft articles for that cover things that Agalia has added to browsers in the last year or two um, that I'm going to, once they're brushed up, I'm going to start publishing them in various places. I'm not going to name any of those places because I don't, I haven't contacted them yet, but you know, the, the kinds of places you would expect to read articles about CSS features. Netflix. Yeah, right. Um, the Netflix blog, 100%. Well, and that'll be part of the uh, viral marketing campaign for Cascading Style Sheets, the definitive guide, the series. <laughs> um, I've heard that too. I hear Leonardo DiCaprio is playing me. Yeah, it's. I heard it from you. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, things like that. There's There's other stuff that will be happening, but that's what I've focused on in the first couple of weeks. I mean- of course, besides coming on board, getting all my logins set up, all the stuff that happens when you join a new organization, all that, of course, had to happen as well. But yeah, I've been looking for a way to contribute more to the sort of web documentation, the, you know, the um, advancement of the web, that sort of thing. And Egalia turned out to be the right place. It really feels like the kinds of stuff they wanted me to do are the kinds of stuff I love to do. Will you be dusting off your C++ compiler and writing code to go in browsers or are you more explaining our Igalia to the world? Not likely. So you're kind of DevRel-ish. Yeah, kind of. They don't, they don't call it that, but yeah. VP of marketing or something. Outreach. Synergies. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Advanced junior senior director of leveraging DevRel synergies. I'm going to jot that down, actually, because I went perm on Monday. So uh, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, login's a bummer, eh? I've got like 80 million instances of something called Okta on my phone and hmm. and all this kind of stuff. It's it's very weird. But uh, Where did you go perm? A healthcare company called Babylon Health who want to uh, make the healthcare affordable and accessible to everybody. So kind of goes with all the stuff I've been banging on about, you know. Yeah. As of this morning, as we're recording, I saw Brad Frost just joined a nonprofit as a full-time employee. And Vadim bucking the trend, you just left permanent and have gone freelance. Yep. I'm trying this for the first time in my life, so that's going to be interesting. Well, you know, there are pros and cons on either side. Yep. I know. <laughs> So, Eric, why don't you practice your DevRel 
on us. Why don't you tell us what's up uh, related to CSS in Igalia? I heard about Focus Visible implementation going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything else? Or it's a big enough thing? There, the DIR, the DIR pseudo class, just landed in Chromium like maybe yesterday. <laughs> recently. Uh, so that's landing. There's more work happening. I'm not sure how much of it I can talk about, to be honest. Part of the being new at the company is that to some extent, I, I don't know what I'm not supposed to know, <laughs> as it were. But the Dur pseudo class. I heard something about uh, the, the this pseudo class from public sources, so it should be fine. It's uh, You can select elements, I believe, based on their writing direction. Much of the work that I have seen happening uh, or that I've been talking with people about seems to be internationalization uh, focused. Some of the stuff that I might end up documenting as sort of a long-term plan is internationalization in ECMAScript. Some of the internationalization stuff that's happening there. There does seem to be quite a bit of interest uh, from people who would hire Agalia to do this sort of thing have more internationalization features. Yeah, which I think is fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah, in, in almost every release notes I see these days from Safari... Uh Google, Chrome, Firefox, there's always like this Intel JavaScript API with some with something, something uh, like now it's easier to to show your dates or currencies, uh, dates or something like that. It's always good to see that uh, native JavaScript is actually making good old libraries obsolete. Yeah. And what's the other thing that they're working on right now is time methods and functions or whatever they're called, but stuff to make time easier. And so you don't have to do all of, okay, how many leap years is this? And is one of the years I'm spanning divisible by 400 because then there's not a leap year and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, cetera, right? I did this thing just yesterday. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're trying to bake all of that in, but yeah, on the, and on the CSS front, like one of the things that I've written the article one of the articles I've written is about the logical properties like margin block and margin inline start and margin inline end and all of those, all of those sort of writing direction independent properties. Uh, regarding that, I have a question for you. I, I always ask this question because I'm not convinced yet that it's a thing that deserves a lot of attention. Hmm. Okay. Because when I when I look at a typical design in Figma or somewhere else, when I hear some typical dis- discussion regarding new interfaces or things that we need to implement, I don't hear a lot of let's put this thing on the inline direction or blog direction. We usually say like top left button right or something like this. And it's the way we think. But when we we have to localize interfaces for example, we we change the way we see things, and then we apply logical properties so they would work universally, I would say. But uh, these days, a lot of people say the logical properties are supposed to replace those physical ones or the direction related to top right, bottom left. And I and I disagree. I think we should keep both of them at the same time. And in most cases, we will probably default to the old ones and use new ones in some cases when we need to. Well, I agree with you that it's not a matter of replacement. The idea is not to have the logical properties replace the, what I call cardinal properties, because they point at the cardinal directions. There should be both. And there will certainly be times when you want to always have a margin on the top of a thing. But when it comes to text, and let's be honest, the vast majority of the web is text. It's pretty much 
What is it? Even if you're creating a quote unquote web app, there's still going to be text in it almost certainly. Right. And if you want that to be easily localizable, then yeah, you want margin block for your paragraphs or your headings rather than margin top, margin bottom, because right. If you do margin top and bottom, and then you switch to a vertically written right to left language, then you have to like have these special styles for that particular language that switch around what's top and what's bottom and what's right and what's left with the logical properties. You wouldn't have to do that. But if you've got a box that you're going to have on the screen and it's going to be laid out in a grid, then yeah, you're probably going to use top, right, bottom, left, because that's what, that's what's of interest. Another example where there are logical properties coming is with border radius. So rather than border radius, border top, right radius, is it? Then there would be something like border start, start radius which would be the start of the block direction and the, and the start of the inline direction. Okay, so top left in in most sites that I work on, but it could be bottom right on a vertical right to left language. Yep. Uh, if you if you always want it to sort of be at the at that what we think of because those of us who are used to top to bottom left to right languages, if you think okay, well I want this where the writing starts that's not a top left thing. It's a, where the writing starts. So you could have it, you know, a rounded corner there, no matter what direction the um, writing ends up going, you know, as simple as, um, you know, you're switching from top to bottom, left to right to top to bottom, right to left, like Arabic or Hebrew, right? So if you've used the logical border radius to just curve that corner, then you have nothing else to do. All you have to do is switch the writing direction as opposed to, oh, now I need to square off the top left and curve the top right because that's where the writing is starting now, right? So things like that, you know, if if you're doing writing, you know, styles for text, the logical properties make much more sense. If you're doing component layout, sometimes the logical properties might make sense, but more often you're going to use top right, bottom left. And that's fine. When we should definitely have both. So yeah, to, to bring it back around to what where I started, not a replacement. It's it's not a case of throw out top right, bottom left. Those are terrible and they should never be used by anyone for any reason. No, they, they will exist side by side. Yeah, I hear people say uh, that grid, grids are going to replace Flexbox. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. They work side by side. Yeah, there there tends to be, and f I, I mean, I sort of get why, but there tends to be this this feeling of, oh, we have new thing, therefore old thing is obsolete and we don't use it anymore. And people forget that the web is actually a progressive build. It's not a case of replacing the old with the new. I wouldn't use tables and floats for layout, but they, they were hacks. So it, it, it works this way for, for, uh, ha for hacks. Like it's better to throw them away. You sound like the, uh, the beginning of every movie I ever watched. I didn't, you wouldn't use a table for layout. <laughs> you wouldn't steal a policeman's helmet. Well, and the ones who were learning now wouldn't and they did right they're like you did what why would why would you do that you just lay it out what were you thinking and you know it's because yeah we had to hack and to a certain extent things like having special style sheets for based on writing direction that's a hack mm -hmm. and where you can drop that hack by using logical properties 100 do it but yeah it's a css grows it does not Generally, it does not recycle. I mean, there are very few things from very early on that basically got replaced. But no, it, it's a, we have this feature and now we have an, another feature, not a new feature that replaces an old feature. It's a, now we have this greater, this richer 
um, capability. I remember explaining to some people who asked, you know, why does why do web standards take so long to make? You know, how how difficult is it to define a, a grid layout system? It's like there's not it's not that difficult to define a grid layout system, but you have to define what happens if somebody's got a grid layout inside a flex box, which is inside uh, an HTML table layout that's absolutely positioned because somebody somewhere will do that and all of the mess we got ourselves into before uh hixie et al came along and saved us all was because the spec said very little about what happens in these edge cases but when you've got and i've counted 409 brazilian websites out there somebody somewhere is going to be using a grid inside a flex box inside a layout table that's absolutely positioned because of some mad cms they can't change and, and that's what takes the time it's, it's working out what happens with a grid layout with every other thing that we've made many of which are good but lots of which we sort of inherited from from the dark ages when it was Sir Uncle Timbo and Dan Connolly just sitting around making stuff up. But uh, speaking of, speaking of uh, weird combinations and tricks, uh, I really like how grid layout and flexbox they they took a shortcut because inside of uh, in grid and flexbox they have new rules like no margin collapsing, no floats. Nothing, nothing old. Like just, just our new rules, and it's much easier to to implement it that way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can have floats inside of grid items or flex items, but yes, the you can't float a flex item, and you can't yeah, float yeah, a grid yeah, I mean, item. At least not so far. <laughs> Ooh, this is the secret plan Ali is working on, is it, Eric? <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's just there are design, you know, techniques. That would work really well if you could place a thing and then have it act like a float using exclusions, is what I'm getting to here, is CSS exclusions, where you could put something that straddles two, straddles the gap between two columns, and then using exclusions, say, stuff should flow around this, and it flows around both sides. That's what exclusions would make possible. Now, I'm not saying, and get ready, because exclusions is coming next year. It might be a while, but the spec is there and it's being worked on. And I think there's at least some interest because Grid lets us do a lot, so much that we couldn't do before, but it has its limits so far. And part of the reason that these things take so long, to get back to what Bruce was saying, is not just the, what do you do in all these weird edge cases, but also because CSS, like HTML, not only has to be backwards compatible, it needs to be as much as possible forwards compatible. It's one of the amazing things about the web and its and its core technologies is that they are designed to be compatible over long periods of both backwards compatible and forwards compatible. That is not a trivial undertaking. That's really hard to do, particularly when you have a language or in this case, a set of languages that are meant to be as robust as possible, as fail-proof as possible, as human-readable as possible, and operate in an environment where not every error leads to a complete failure, right? There's no compiler to say, oh, this is wrong, I'm stopping, right? Well, like, like in JavaScript or many, many, many other programming languages, right? Syntax error, we're done here, right? Fix it, or I'm not doing anything. That's not how the web is built. And it, on purpose, that's how the web is, is not, uh, you know, that's not how the web is built. That was how it was designed from the get-go. And, uh, you know, that, that's, an, that's an incredibly challenging environment to work in particularly as a spec author or an implementer. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, in my my perm job, I was consulting with them for a while, so I know all the people. But I've been working with a really brilliant developer, but he's not particularly a web developer per se. And I suggested that we use details and summary mm, yeah. for FAQs to get rid of a bit of JavaScript. He came back and he said, oh, no, we can't because can I use says it's not supported in IE 11, which you know we have to support. And I said, try it see what happens in IA11. And he went, oh, it's just open. <laughs> and I went, yeah. And he said, I said, it's not supported. Therefore, you just get the content. And and he's a really great guy. And I could see over Zoom, I could see the light bulb going off over his head because that's, that's antithetical to the way that most not supported in happens for most programmers. And I was a inverted commas, heavy irony, real programmer in the, you know, when if something wasn't supported, it was therefore unusable. So this idea of being both backwards compatible and forwards compatible is incredibly powerful if you get it and if you, if you relish that, you know, but that means you have to actually love what the web is rather than treat it as a, annoying delivery model for your <laughs> web assembly blob of crap that only works in chrome i mean details and summary is great uh vadim has actually seen me use this in a talk you can load up details and summary in links yes just content i mean first browser you could track down the original timbo computer and fire up the, the browser and load up a page that has details and summary just get the content that's amazing it's amazing to me. It still occasionally makes me stop and just say, that's kind of stunning. It is. And I just want to point out, uh, Eric, because I know that you're an American and therefore, you know, mm. a classless society, but is Sir Uncle <laughs> Timbo. Oh, excuse me. Sir Uncle Timbo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but back to, back to your original point, Vadas. I mean, Russians written left to right, albeit with some weird letters that shouldn't be there. Hey, now. And... Uh, English is written left to right. Even Americans written left to right, albeit spelled wrong. Yeah. But, but, and so we naturally think left to right. But I, I'd be interested to, you know, to hear from like Saraswaidan, whose first language is Arabic, but presumably works, makes a heck of a lot of stuff for left to right languages. Or more my old friends at Wix who, you know, use Hebrew all the time but there's bi-directional stuff in the middle of hebrew signs because like right. the language is right to left but dates are left right and times are written left to right embedded in it and they're often writing stuff for english language markets i'm wondering whether they find the logical properties more easier to grok i don't know if, you, if you're a listener with arabic or or hebrew as your first language let us know on the twitters Eric, yes. Presumably, in your first three weeks, you have to do all the menial tasks. So, do you like have to hoover all the bean bags and clean out all the bongs and everything at Igalia? I mean, we're all remote, so <laughs> okay. Everybody cleans their own bong. Yeah, pretty much. Excellent. We'll be uh, having a good sing song of Kumbaya at the end, listeners, instead of our usual theme music. But uh, awesome. But yeah, Vadas. Um, there are more new specs than you can shake a stick at in CSS land. 
Um, not that I advise shaking sticks at CSS folks because it's it's rude, but some of them are just flat out crazy, and none of them actually address my use case that I wrote about in two thousand and four and. Cardell still hasn't made happen, so sort him out, please, Eric. Well, can you forward me the latest copy of the Mankini specification? Because I haven't kept up. I will. (laughs) I think you have. You just keep erasing it from your mind in some kind of PTSD thing. But yeah, there's there's loads of new specs. uh, And Vadim, you read all these things for bedtime reading, don't you? So you want to run us through the the latest, greatest ones? Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in the CSS drafts repository on W3C organization. I just went through uh, some of them this afternoon, and I was I was surprised. Um, I usually follow what's what's coming up on Twitter or somewhere else. I'm reading some some specs authors to stay informed. But I saw a number of uh, drafts that are went under under my radar. Uh, for example, I heard about this uh, CSS nesting module from Tabatkins from 2015, I believe. There is the new version developed in December last year. So it's CSS nesting module, editor's draft. So it's uh, Tabatkins uh, again and Adam Argyle from Google, both, both of them. And uh, the main idea behind this spec is to have ampersand selector that basically works just like in uh, SAS or less. It's something inherited from preprocessors. And it makes my head hurt, really. I mean, I used to have two things, like the real CSS and one that fantasy one. I have two modes in my head. I switch between them. Now I have to merge two of them into single one because of that. That's my point of view. It, it just hurts. And w- what about you? Well, for me, the... I'm I'm still getting used to the syntax that's there. And I will say I haven't invested a ton of effort into understanding every nuance of nesting because its current status means it could change completely. Yeah, yeah. Right? Where it is in the specification process. It's basically an editor's draft, more or less. Very early days, right. Yeah, very early days. And so generally when it comes to those sorts of things, at most, I will sort of get try to get my head around, okay, what are they what's the problem they're solving here? And maybe not go so far into the syntax. But I I have looked at the syntax and occasionally it kind of does make my head hurt a little. (laughs) Especially since right now, it seems like what they're proposing is, oh hey, here's a pattern where you can take the declaration block of a rule, the part with the curly braces, and put a whole nother rule inside of it. That's yikes. And again, People who are listening to this should not say, oh my God, we're going to put rules inside of other rules because maybe that's not how it ends up turning out. That's why, because of where this is, I don't put a lot into, like I'm not building test cases for this and I'm not building um, parsers or whatever because the whole thing could change. But it's, I like the idea to some extent. And what I, what I really like is that it, it comes from preprocessors. This is why I like preprocessors, especially in the CSS space, because they let authors experiment, right? They let authors in effect create new CSS features, which they then, they have to write some code to do a transpile or a compile or a superpile or a dogpile, I don't know, whatever, um, to turn this thing that they've dreamed up in less or SAS or whatever, turn it into regular CSS. But then if, if something that these authors are experimenting with becomes popular, the working group now is able to look at that and say, you know, a lot of people are doing this. A lot of people want this. And it would be a win for the web if we can make that native to browsers to make it native to browsers, right? So CSS variables or custom properties by their formal name 
is another example of this where people have been asking since CSS was invented, hey, can we have variables? And the working group would all, you know, for a long time would say, uh, no, for that, use a preprocessor. You know, like years before lesser tests were even thought of, let alone deployed, right? Years before that, they would say, well, use a preprocessor in the era when you would literally have to write your own preprocessor. Um, <laughs> and there was a feeling that there just wasn't that much demand for that sort of thing. Like people would ask and, and they would say, well, if you need it, you can write, you can use a preprocessor. There's not, you know, we, we don't see that much interest. Then less and SAS became popular in other such preprocessors. And so far as I can tell, approximately 50% of people who first install something like SAS do it because they want variables, right? They find out that that's how you do CSS variables. So like, all right, I'm installing that. I'll figure out how to do that. And they became so widely used that then the community was able to come back to the working group and say, yeah, that thing that you said there wasn't a whole lot of demand for, everybody uses this, right? Just about. And it became a thing in specifications. I love preprocessors for that because... They let authors experiment. They let authors extend CSS. And if something is sufficiently powerful and solves enough use cases that actual authors have, the working group will now do their best to bring that into specifications. The color uh, module, the color CSS colors, they've been trying to figure out the best way in a backwards and forwards compatible way to let people do things like just tint a color. Rather than having to define a whole new color that's a tint of another color, they could just say, use the current color except 30% lighter or 20% darker. They can tint or shade it, which is a thing that preprocessors do. Those are their mix-ins or extensions or whatever to do that. So the working group's trying to make that happen. Their challenge, the reason they haven't immediately done it is because, again, they needed to be, they need to be able to do it in a way that those values don't break pages in older browsers and don't close too many doors for future browsers. Uh, speaking of that, we've just discussed in previous chapter that we need to keep the web forward and backward compatible. And uh, the way uh, the browsers uh, implemented uh, custom properties or CSS variables, I prefer the, the first name, is not really solves all the problems we, we solve with, with uh, CSS preprocessors. You cannot use property in, inside of media query, for example, because it's not a property there. It's, it's a custom media feature or something like this. The question is, what should we do when the, the developers demand to break the web? So when I say backwards compatible, I don't mean that these things are written in such a way that suddenly IE11 will support whatever the latest browsers do. What I mean is that it won't break, right? The same way in HTML, you can use details and summary and it won't break pages in, in IE11 or links or www or, or whatever that you get the user gets something and the user gets something comprehensible right now it is it is possible to use css in ways that makes things much more difficult for people in older browsers but they should still get the content they might not get every last bell and whistle but they should get the content and if you're if you're smart about how you approach your styling it won't even be that particularly broken it'll just be you know, maybe it'll be all black text or whatever their default color is as opposed to all of the cool colors that you added and so as long as you're not writing your copy to depend on them being able to see those colors which you shouldn't do because some people can't see colors preach it eric yeah so you know there are some people who are fully colorblind or other people who are red green colorblind um which is actually something i need to to deal with the the web platform tests oh yeah they show uh, green or red <laughs> now, part of the deal of those tests, uh, from what I can tell, is they're supposed to be automated, and the computer a computer can tell the difference between green and red. But it's still something I I want to look at and think about now that I have the resources and the time, thanks to Agalia, 
to maybe change that to, I don't know, green and blue. Or as some text inside of those blokes. Right. Or black and white or whatever, right? Something that is as uh, useful as possible. But yes, so that's what I mean by backwards compatible, not breaking things for earlier browsers. In, in case of uh, custom properties, they, they introduced something different from uh, what we have in SAS, for example. Those were not variables. Those those were custom properties. And I thank them for that because it's in, in my world, it's much better than they made it better. But in case of uh, this nesting module, uh, I think they're just trying to implement the thing literally. Yeah, I mean, the goal is, I think, well... I can't speak to the goal. I don't speak for the working group or any member thereof. But I think the goal is always to, if they can, just reproduce what's being done, right? So with nesting, if they can reproduce the syntax, great. And if they could have done that for for variables, they probably would have. But because of that need to think both backwards and forwards, they probably realized, okay, we can't do it exactly that way. But you know, how close can we get? You know, how could how can we do that in a way that won't close a lot of doors to us in the future? Because sometimes that's one of the concerns. It's the it can it can be as simple as how what naming pattern can we allow for these that won't mess up you know other possible naming patterns for things in the future? Well, I I really hope that they do uh, implement the nesting because I had to do some work with less recently and I've never used less. But, you know, I could figure out what was going on. It was an inherited project. And this will shock you, right? But sometimes my CSS doesn't always work first go and I have to debug it. I know, noob. Uh, And the annoying thing is with less is when I'm looking at something in the dev tools and I copy a class name or something and then search the source code, you don't necessarily find it because actually that class name isn't in the source code because it might have been concatenated from the nesting rules, which made it a heck of a lot more difficult to to debug because I could see what it had transpired to, but that didn't necessarily bear any resemblance to the less source. So presumably if they do make it native, then there'll be some way of actually tracking back rather than sort of trying to reverse engineer the less spec on the fly while trying to debug stuff. Yeah, ideally, and that might, that's probably part of what they're trying to figure out is, okay, we could do this, but then how will DevTools handle it, right? I mean, that's, spec authors have to think about that. They have to think about all of these ramifications. So, yeah, I mean, I think nothing is pretty cool. Certainly, I've had situations where I've had to do the, great, now I have to prefix every single one of these rules with a class name because they've been shifted into this class name, but they can only be, right? Like, it can be a pain. I get it. And so nesting is really cool for that, but we'll see. Uh, this nesting thing is sort of a, just a syntactic sugar. You can write your CSS the way it is. You can use a preprocessor or your code will be just repetitive too much. But there's another spec which changes a lot. It is cascading and inheritance level five. Yeah, We've discussed it in a previous episode. Basically, it allows you to control the way the cascade is applied 
from external sources, from your own sources, to make sure that your code is not being overridden by some external CSS. Or you can manage your legacy code by overriding anything that contains in it without important and uh, IDs and things like that. So what do you think about the, this cascading enhancement of CSS? Like CSS is cascading a styling language already, but finally we can manage this cascade. Yeah, I go back and forth on that one. I get the desire. My concern is that if there are these at layer blocks, which is how the current specification is written. So you have at layer, my cool styles, and then you open a curly bracket and then you have all your rules inside it and then a closing curly bracket. Older browsers are not gonna parse anything in there the same way they don't parse add media if they don't understand add media. If they don't understand that layer, they're just gonna skip it, which means all of the stuff you put in your at layer gets ignored by those browsers. And I, I mean, I am not the smartest person in the room by any stretch, when it comes to these sorts of things, but that, and I'm, I'm you know, much, the much smarter people in the room, I'm sure, are thinking about that. But that because I can, I can easily see authors saying, "Oh, well, I put everything in a layer, and then I have full control over everything." But in like literally the versions of Chrome that are shipping right now, if you start doing that in two years, the versions of Chrome that are shipping right now would see no styles if you put everything in an at layer. Which, of course, part of that is don't put everything in an at layer; only use it when you really need to. But you, we all know that. People will just slap everything in layers because it'll mm -hmm. now they have much more control over everything. Now, users will still get all the content. It'll be unstyled text. Well, unauthor styled text. It'll be just default browser styled text. And that's in some cases gonna be fine. But in other cases, I can see where that would come close to breaking the experience for users of links or you know, a, a two generations old iPhone that's a hand-me-down that they bought for five bucks and that they, you know, because that's literally the only internet they have. So we'll see where that goes. The problem will be, of course, is that the developers won't see this because they'll be using the latest version of Chrome that it works in and will assume that all of their users are as well i just want to point out by the way to the listeners that we can all see each other because we're on zoom and when eric points out that he's not the smartest person in the room from what i can tell he's the only person in his room so i'm not <laughs> quite sure what that's saying eric well there's probably a cat in here somewhere <laughs> Fair enough, but yeah, I get what you I get what you're saying because it, it is rumored that there are one or two developers who seem only to think about the browser that they themselves use and don't necessarily think about people on older devices or indeed older browsers. Uh, but the, the the same thing applies to grid layout, for example. It can like if you're sticking only to grid layout, your content is I wouldn't say it's unreadable, but it's not as good as, as it might be. But you can, because of the way grid was designed and CSS was designed, you can have your float-based layout and add grid that overrides effectively the float-based layout so that people in older browsers get, you know, it might not be as whizzy, you know, perfectly laid out as the grid version, but things are still roughly where they're supposed to be. And then with grid, you have more control. The at layer, I mean, from my reading, they've done their best to preserve that. My concern is in how it will be used. And I do, I have concerns about grid sometimes. People say, you know what? I'm just doing all grid and I'm not even gonna think about older browsers and that's just how it's gonna be. Sometimes that works. I could get away with that on my blog because, or my website, because my website is most is all text, right? But there are other situations, news sites, you know, medical information, emergency services, where hopefully you would hope people wouldn't take that perspective, but I'm sure it's happening. 
It is. I mean, I was reading a blog post um, probably about six months ago now pointing out how many governmental COVID information sites were not accessible. You know, this is information, this isn't, you know, reading my latest genius blog post. This is stuff of actual vital importance. And if people are posting that as text and images with no alt text, they're unlikely to be uh, thinking about the fallback for their layers, which is woeful. But this is human nature. Something new's come along, and therefore everything old is laughable and should be retired immediately. Yeah, yeah. I have a plan to uh, to invite Miriam Suzanne on this podcast and discuss. Uh, it's basically her idea. Discuss this this topic uh, further because yeah, it's it's a very good question. I'm not sure if we're actually going to be able to progress uh, without breaking thing or two. I'm, I'm not talking about the breaking the web as a whole, mm. but some things might be might look ugly in older browsers, but still readable. Yeah, and Miriam is absolutely, I'm glad you're going to have her on. She Hopefully she will have an answer to my question and will not laugh at me too hard for... She's not informed yet of my decision to, to invite her, but... <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm hoping that works out. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So when I got your invite to the F word, um, I accidentally put it on the family calendar <laughs> before I switched it to work. And my 17-year-old daughter showed up in my office first. She's like, what was that? I said, what was what? You put F word on the calendar and then took it away. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the name of a podcast. She, she was like, I thought something really awful was happening on Friday and you were really upset about it. You put F word on the calendar. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just I'm talking to a couple of people and it'll be fine. It was, it was a moment of confusion. <laughs> Thank you very much, Eric, for uh, oh. putting putting some of Agalia's time into into talking to uh, two non-celebs like Vadim and I. Good luck with Agalia, because I know what it's like when you've just joined. It can be intimidating, and I know Cardell can be quite a terrifying figure. Yeah, actually, shout out to Brian Cardell, who uh, has actually made my entry into Agalia a lot easier. I mean, I talked with him and I talked with other people. And one of the things I said joining was, you know, I will need direction. If you just, if, if you bring me in and tell me, do what you want to do. I mean, I'm going to do what I want to do, but that might have nothing to do with what anyone else <laughs> wants or needs, right? I need direction. When we get started, please give it to me. And he totally has. He's, he's, he's kept me out of things that would be too distracting. And he's said, hey, here's a thing that we could really use. Yeah, so thank you, Brian. Big shout out for for that because that's been a huge help. Yay, Brian. He's like um, he's like a sort of a, a general internet avuncular figure, <laughs> isn't he? Just like helps people for, around the sidelines, but doesn't implement my CSS thing, Cardell. Where is it? Like I said, send send me the you know Mankini as a service uh, spec, and I'll see what I can make happen. You're a mensch, <laughs> I believe they uh, they say. So, fair listeners, we'll wrap this up for this episode of The F Word. Episode 10, we're now in double figures. Thank you very much to Eric Meyer. Thank you very much to uh, Mrs. Meyer for, for letting him out and to come and talk to us. Thank you to your daughter for checking that you were okay when you uh, put that on the calendar. And thank you all for listening. The transcript and the show notes will be on the site from the moment we publish as always, see you next time. Thank you for coming to F Word, Eric. Oh, thank you for having me. Had a good time. Cheers. Cheerio. Pip pip. <laughs> That's what young people say, right? I guess.